Today's episode is brought to you by Psychedelics. Uh, my friend Sean Chitty joins us to speak about his work with plant medicines known as entheogens. If you don't know what that means, uh, entheogen, the word means generating the divine from within. So these are what some people would call drugs, uh, other people call plant medicines. These are natural, usually natural substances uh, that uh, create a hallucinatory experience that people use for spiritual healing. Uh, Sean is a psychotherapist born in Australia. He's a mental health counselor in the UK, and now he does facilitation work in South America uh, for an organization called the Temple of the Way of Light. It's uh, basically, from what I understand, a plant medicine retreat center. So if you want to experience ayahuasca or uh, basically a shamanic experience with ayahuasca uh, from authentic Peruvian shamans, um, but in a safe uh, container, this is a great place to check out. I got to know Sean when I was in Peru last winter doing ayahuasca ceremonies, and um, I had done ayahuasca in the States a few times, but this time in Peru was the first time I clearly experienced speaking with entities, speaking with spirits. And for someone like me, who's like kind of half skeptical, like I like thinking about these entities existing. I like thinking about them in a, in a metaphorical uh, sense. Um, but under this, uh, this medicine, I was actually speaking to some spirits as we speak about in this conversation. And uh, it was great speaking with Sean afterwards because he's experienced this kind of stuff too. Uh, he knows how to speak the more mystical language that the shamans, uh, like the shamans uh, use to frame the world. But he's also uh, very rational and can ground certain concepts and things that we can understand uh, and for someone who doesn't, who hasn't experienced spiritual things like this, it's, it makes it very easy to understand. Um, so I learned a lot from him about the training of shamans, the belief structures, and essentially how to balance really mystical spiritual experiences with grounded rational understanding. So uh, lastly, I just want to say this kind of as a public service announcement. If you're going to go out and do a hallucinatory substance for spiritual reasons or healing or even recreational re reasons, um, I re highly recommend doing your research first, not trying to be your mom, but like there are obviously risks involved. Um, one resource you could check out is Sean himself. Uh, his contact info is in the show notes. Um, so yeah, so just be safe. You know, it's, uh, I think psychedelics are great and you know, you want to take the obvious precautions. Um, and a uh, final announcement. I, as you may know, I record all of these podcast episodes with a live virtual audience. So if you want to be part of the audience for future episodes, all you have to do is follow me at crowdcast.io slash Rwando. Uh, there you'll see all the upcoming live recording dates with all the upcoming guests. Just follow me and sign up for whatever episodes you want to join. And you can ask myself or the guest questions and uh, alter the, the conversation itself. So this is episode 003, Sean Chitty on mindfulness and entheogenic healing. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. All right, we are live. Uh, yeah, so thanks for being here, Sean. I think I've wanted to have this conversation with you on one-on-one -on -one without other friends around anyway, and this podcast was like a great excuse. Thanks, Rowan. I'm, I'm really happy to be able to do this with you. Yeah. Um, so both for me and for everyone who, who is listening, um, could you give a little background on how you ended up in South America teaching mindfulness and dealing with plant medicines? Because I think there's a lot we can cover and I want to, I guess, categorize it for people so they can follow. 
show thing. Yeah, it's been a really interesting path and a little bit of magic along the way, I think. Um, basically, I started working um, as a psychotherapist about oh, getting close to like 10 years ago now. I'd already been practicing healing meditation, you know, broadly in the in the mindfulness type of class of meditation for quite a while um, before I was even working as a psychotherapist. And then I started working um, with plant medicines, actually mainly when I was in the UK. I was living in London mm-hmm. and um, sort of people interested in these things um, out there. And so Was it like ayahuasca retreat type things? Or? Yeah, so things like ayahuasca, peyote, uh, were the main things that I was working with. Um, and that initially started mainly because I, I'd heard of it. Um, I think I, you know, I was obviously aware of like entheogens and LSD and magic mushrooms kind of, kind of growing up in Australia as a teenager and in the, you know, kind of like trans party scene there. Um, and so it was in my mind, but I'd never really had the opportunity to engage in it in a in a ceremonial setting um, until I was in the UK. And I knew that there was something there for me that it, it's, it's just this, this yearning for healing that so many of us have. Mm-hmm. And um, I had read an article about someone's healing experience with ayahuasca many years before, and that had just kind of floated about in the back of my mind. And then somehow I remembered it again. And um, and I ended up going to my first ceremony you know, with ayahuasca. Well, actually, make it even more complicated story. It was with an ayahuasca analog. I thought it was ayahuasca, but it was not ayahuasca. But it was okay. something similar. Like in, a uh, not a synthetic. Um, there are other analog mixtures that you can make that have a comparable effect to ayahuasca. Then, then they, in the sense that they're visionary, uh, purgative uh, plants. Uh, but there wasn't actually ayahuasca. But um, it's just for, for to, to, so that I'm telling the truth's sake that I'm um, acknowledging that. For simplicity's sake, let's just say I started working with plants like ayahuasca in mm-hmm. 2010, and it's just in the beginning of 2011. And it it's obviously a, a very compelling and engaging experience, and it really uh, captured my imagination. Was really inspired me. And um, gradually became a, a you know a fixture of, of my life, like a, something that I was really in, involved with the, the, the community there, working with it. Mm-hmm. I travelled to Mexico to work with peyote. I travelled to um, Peru um, to work uh, in the in the jungle with with ayahuasca there. And then I never really even dreamed that I would. Well, I did dream, but I never thought realistically that I would be be able to. Uh, be kind of working down here in this way, uh, but then in 2015, I think uh, myself and uh, my then girlfriend Carolina were uh, looking. I think we just came across an a post someone had put up on Facebook saying that the, the this amazing ayahuasca plant medicine center temple of the way of light was looking for facilitators. Hmm. And we both ended up applying and, and were, were then uh, basically incredibly excited to get a very quick response from, from the owner and ended up heading down to, to work at the temple in, at the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously with my background working with mindfulness and 
with healing and as a psychotherapist um it, it basically my, my work down there evolved into into combining the two and mm-hmm. um it's been an absolutely amazing experience to be able to kind of like fuse them and, and, and cross fertilize my understanding of both with the with the experiences and understanding that come from the other so what did you do exactly as a facilitator uh with a psychotherapist background with like what were you doing exactly or what are you doing now what am i doing yeah good question so when i arrived actually so i have a, a hearing problem and um when I arrived, the intention was that we were going to be working as facilitators at the temple, but I very quickly discovered that that wasn't really realistic, uh, given the nature of that specific role as as it is at the temple, um, because it involves basically being able to communicate with people in the dark, mainly by whispering, whilst there's up to five maestros singing different songs simultaneously, <laughs> which for someone with, with good hearing is fine, but for me with um, with needing hearing aids it was extremely difficult and so i didn't actually didn't end up working as a facilitator in that particular role and then but because of my uh existing skill set i ended up actually evolving a new role for myself um which involved working teaching uh mindfulness and other psychotherapy and kind of healing and psychology related topics as a part of a workshop program um and this involved kind of adapting um, what I knew to be effective tools for helping people to heal, for helping people to understand the way their mind worked towards the experience of, of working with ayahuasca. And so now, basically, at the, I work as part of the facilitation team uh, for the temple. Uh, we have our director, is, uh, Tanya Mate, an amazing woman, uh, the daughter-in-law of Dr. Cabo Mate, is fairly uh, famous in, in, in these kind of scene the medicine scene working with ayahuasca and with integration uh and so basically we help people to uh, prepare for their ayahuasca workshops at the temple uh sometimes we do on-site workshops uh and we also help people afterwards with the integration of their experiences so it's about kind of bridging that uh the kind of uh the shamanic process of working with ayahuasca with Western understandings of how to uh, work with our mental content as it's arising. Yeah, that's really cool. Cause I'd imagine, and even from my brief experiences in Peru with plant medicines, there's something like very like spooky and like very detached from like, I shouldn't say the real world, but it feels like the real world. If you grew up in the Western world and go to the jungle and then, uh, it's like having a guy who speaks English who also is a psychotherapist who could speak normal, conventional life probably is very like uh, grounding for people and puts people at ease, I'd imagine. That's, that's the intention, absolutely. And, um, you know, obviously people can adapt fairly well to the otherworldly experience of working with ayahuasca, but having people there to help us kind of conceptualize what's going on and ground it and figure out how to put it into practice can be really, really useful. It can be a game changer. And I've definitely seen people, you know, who, who have a workshop on a particular topic uh, and then they go into the uh, next ceremony, they come out of the ceremony and the next check-in, they're very directly giving feedback indicating that they've used what we were talking about very actively in the ceremony space. Mm-hmm. So it's not just integrating, you know, obviously the integrating afterwards is really important, but there are actually tools and strategies you can learn that actively help you during the, the actual ceremony itself. Cool. 
So, so speaking on like the transition between worlds, I want to talk about like the the spiritual world and material worlds uh, uh-huh. transition because okay. what I, and I want to speak to you about it because I've spoken to many people who use plant medicines, talk about the astral plane and like spirits and things. And usually, in my judgment, they're like kind of an ungrounded person who maybe believes in a lot of false things and like. But you seem very rational. But you've also spoken to me quite a bit about like spirit entities and like things that come to you and like dialogue with the plant itself and things that for someone who has no experience with it probably seem like hocus pocus nonsense. Uh, so I wanted to open that. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great question. And I, I hear what you're saying. It's a, you know, working with ayahuasca and working with, you know, any of the visionary plants, it's, it really opens up a can of worms of how to understand and, uh, integrate the understanding and the experience of what subjectively seems like something completely other than anything that we've been brought up to believe in, in a sort of typical Western materialist description of the world. And even when we talk about, you know, religious and spiritual models of the world, they often really don't kind of um, describe or particularly give any importance to these kind of otherworldly encounters that you can have working with ayahuasca. And yeah, I, they talk I, about in like the Bible, like someone else experienced an otherworldly thing, but yeah. in present day, no one who goes to church really experiences the spirit world. Yeah. They, I mean, I, I, I think they, people do in, in all sorts of places around the world, but yeah, in the typical kind of Western dialogue, not so much. Absolutely. Um, but my, you know, in you talk about me being seemingly rational and grounded. I think that probably comes from um, having a, a strong background in working with healing meditation before I started working with plant medicines. Um, to me, that was a really stabilizing groundwork to have in place. I think that's yeah. useful or necessary for people before they start using entheogens. I don't think it's going to do you any harm. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it gives you a a resource basically and a skill set with which to navigate what can be very disruptive territory i mean even for me i recognized that um before i started working with the plant medicines i was kind of used to being able to i guess moderate my experience of things through meditation in a fairly calm way and then working with ayahuasca it's like you're thrown into a dishwasher basically everything's just you know all over the place and it can be so intense and so um fast paced as well as uh kind of potentially decentering in that in that the the force of the medicine is so overpowering that you are at its mercy at some times or experientially subjectively rather than being able to just kind of you know sit there and, and and meditate on on what's happening in a fairly contained way as had been my previous experience hmm. yeah. yeah so i want to talk about one thing that i would i would personally like maybe some grounding or rationale behind which is like the idea of like this having a relationship with the plant like People, I've heard before I even did ayahuasca, I heard people speak about uh, ayahuasca as the grandmother, and it's like this old female entity, and people speak to her. And my first two times, 
uh, doing it, I didn't really experience that at all. But the third time, I really felt like I was speaking to like an older woman and like negotiating. Like I, I even felt like I was speaking to her like, hey, I don't want to purge into a bucket. Can I just like use the bathroom afterwards? And I felt like I said, okay. And she let me do that. And that's how I purged afterwards. And I was like, oh, cool. This is a grandmother. But after the experience, I was like, oh, was I just primed? Because everyone told me grandmother, grandmother, grandmother. Mm-hmm. Do you have an explanation or a... I I remain open on this point as best as I can, and it's a I subjectively my experience has overwhelmingly been that the the spirits are alive and that you can relate to them, that you can connect to them, you can talk to them. Not always. Sometimes I'm wandering around in weird spaces on my own, and there's nothing I can easily connect to, or and I, that's not a part of my experience in that ceremony. But I've had, a, you know, I've had experiences of my entire consciousness being completely and utterly overwhelmed by something that felt very um, alive and, you know, like its own kind of being, but was definitely not me, and it just completely took over um, my mind, and that was sort of mind-blowing and terrifying and, you know, inexplicable and bizarre at the time. Um, but of course, there's always, the, you know, you can always take the rationalist, skeptical position and say, no, that's a projection of your mind's inner vision. Mm-hmm. You know, you people see things that are related to what they expect to see, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of don't, feel like I have to make my mind up in a fixed way and I certainly when I'm talking to other people try and make it clear that that's how I feel so that people don't feel like they have to perform some kind of belief (laughs) either way Um, certainly if we're talking about mindfulness a big aspect of mindfulness is holding things lightly which means not trying to fix uh, you know a thought and make or a belief about what this is or isn't and make the world comply to your belief or get really hung up on whether reality does or doesn't comply with your belief but to be willing to just use the belief where it's useful and then let it go when it's not useful so so mm-hmm. certainly in the experience of being in a, in a ceremony and interacting with a with some kind of uh, being or spirit or entity or whatever it may be then it's useful to just kind of go along with that up to a certain point if if, if it's positive. Um, if it's not helpful to you, then try something else. But yeah, I like that kind of phrase of holding it lightly. That feels uh, yeah, because I think a lot of people, especially if you look at outside of this realm, politics and and nutrition, even people are so heavy about their belief system they fight over it and they go to war over it and stuff. And exactly. it's kind of unnecessary. <laughs> Exactly, and that's the you know that's the that's the problem with it is when we become yeah. fused with it to that level, then this is what emerges. Um, and certainly, on a on a personal level, when we talk about many of the kind of mental health problems that we can experience, you can in in each of them you will see that a, a part of the problem is a fusion with a particular way of looking at things. So you know if you really strongly believe that uh you know nothing good will come of your life that's a belief system right you're making a prediction about life based on an idea if you believe that really really strongly then you will feel depressed and that depression will in part be caused by the fusion of that belief and the way in which that makes you behave and how you interpret things from that 
So it's the same thing. Yeah. Is it possible to take things too lightly? Like, is there any danger to like letting your beliefs become too liquid and then you becoming, I guess, detached from the material world? Well, again, I can't be too judgmental about it because um, certainly there appear to be spiritual philosophies which essentially aim for that. <laughs> um, so I think if we, we, you know, there are, I, it's not, that's a great question and it's not a question that I've thought about in great detail um, because I think most of the time we're at the other end of the, picture and certainly in my work as a psychotherapist that's where i tend to be looking it's the, the places people are hanging on too tight i guess you could say perhaps and i don't know if this is exactly the question you're asking but if people get too uncritical of their thoughts like they're not i don't even know if i'm answering well, i guess i was thinking to an extreme where like you maybe stay in that formless dream world of infinite possibility or some version of that where like yeah. you're apathetic to your body and you don't care about people because they you see how they're limited consciousness beings and who cares. And I'm saying this from personal experience with friends who are afraid to touch psychedelics because in their words, they're afraid they're going to go crazy or like lose their mind. And I sometimes oh, say, right. well, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Like you want to let go of things, but I see the fear. Because sometimes it's terrifying. Like my first couple ayahuasca experiences were terrifying. Same thing with mushrooms, terrifying. You know, you don't know if you're going to have to come back. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, I've had those moments too. And it, yeah, it is terrifying, but it's never actually happened. <laughs> I think, you know, there, there are, okay, so there are risk factors. I mean, I, I shouldn't joke about it because obviously people can have difficult experience with entheogens mm -hmm. and with ayahuasca, um, you know, and, and that's nothing to to be lightly dismissed at all. Um, what we do know, as far as the, you know, the, the, the amounts of research that have been done on it so far, is certainly in the case of ayahuasca, is for, for most people, there's not really a risk. Um, there are, you know, a, a certain subsection of people for whom it might be risk if you've got a, a higher risk than others. If you, you know, if you have a history of psychotic episodes, for example, um, then these are things we we need to be really careful of and consider whether it's it's the best thing to to be working with ayahuasca in that in that state or with that kind of history. Because well, I've heard um, the argument that like under a, a hallucinogen, uh, you are entering a psychotic episode of like detaching uh is is that your take on it it's yeah that's a i think that's a, a valid uh idea i think it's more complicated than that because you know it's, i mean again this is like a huge topic which we could which i am not personally an expert of so i can offer my kind of mm -hmm. armchair opinion in in a sense of what's like a informed armchair opinion but i'm certainly not claiming to be an expert um basically even when i've had extraordinarily intense experiences with ayahuasca i've kind of known that that's what was happening hmm. so in, in it, it may share many aspects with a psychotic episode but i believe there's an in, generally higher level of awareness of, of of what's going on certainly sometimes people uh, experience so the, within the range of experiences that can occur within ayahuasca certainly some of the experiences involve uh, 
experiences where people lose awareness of of anything other than the than the visionary experience that they're having at that time um so that could share some elements of it i think you know i did some reading about um psychosis and psychotic episodes uh, you know trying to understand a bit more about this topic um and it's really interesting to realize that even after a hundred years of researching psychosis, I still really don't understand what it is. Mm. It's very hard to define thing. Um, do the shamans, do the maestros have any uh, explanation for it or take on the idea of psychosis? I think they have um, a different perspective on it. Than, than in the West. Um, and obviously a part of their training is to be able to enter with people that psychic space and kind of navigate and, if you like, work with people on their behalf with some of the um, visions and the elements and the uh, emotions and the sensations and the, it's like a whole kind of what's the word for it like a multi-dimensional approach to working with someone in the psychic space um, I really don't want to pretend to be able to do it justice um, because you know I have a very and a limited understanding of it in that sense. I want to, you know, acknowledge that as well. Um, I think they probably do differentiate more enduring or complex episodes than the ones that occur just in the ceremony and then end fairly mm -hmm. soon afterwards. Um, but I don't want to pretend I have a, 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 any kind of complete understanding of how they conceive of it or work with it for themselves. Hmm. Yeah, I'm real curious about like some of the things you've told me about like their perspective of like, you've told me stuff about how like a shaman may uh, put a golden cloak on someone that can only be seen by other shamans. Um, like, could you share some of your experiences and things like that? <laughs> so, yeah, it's not only that they can only they can see it. I, I have seen it myself in my kind of inner you know, visions during a ceremony when it, when it was occurring. Um, but so what we're particularly talking about now is something which we call arcanas, which are protective uh, kind of, so it's a song uh, that is mm -hmm. sung to project projective energy. So it's called arcanas? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm talking now within the Shipibo, um system, which is the one I'm most familiar with mm -hmm. at this level. Um, and so at the end of the workshop, each guest will be sung in arcana, which will be to help um, kind of seal and protect the kind of vulnerability of the healing work that's been done before that. So, um, oh, actually, I think I just want to say for people listening who may not understand, like in a typical medicinal ceremony, the shaman is singing songs uh, to the the people, which are like healing songs. They're supposed to like heal their soul is that the right way to put it or here yeah, absolutely i, I realize we're, we're covering a lot of territory very quickly here, so yeah. <laughs> to give it a bit of get to give it a bit of background yeah. um yeah so i am i am specifically talking about the shipibo system 
So the which is an indigenous tribe, right? From, from Peru, mm -hmm. um, and so within their healing system, they learn healing songs, which they call Icaros, very specifically through dieting medicinal plants that are a part of the array of plants that go together with ayahuasca. And by dieting, you mean they consume it. They, they go into a period of retreat, which mm -hmm. can be anywhere from you know like a week up to many months, uh, and they will uh, basically take a restricted uh, food diet and be in isolation, away from other people and away from working and things like that. Uh, often just under the supervision of their teacher or their maestro. Uh, and they will consume on a daily basis, for example, a, a, a strong tea made out of the, like a cold tea, it's not hot, but it's basically like a tea uh, infusion of the plant that they're going to diet. And then through this process, they will might be punctuated by ayahuasca ceremonies as well, but the intent is to make a connection with that plant and to learn from that plant how it works and often as a and what it's for so plants are broadly kind of conceptualized as either teaching plants or healing plants or both um you know this is somewhat simplistic but to give you a kind of working mm -hmm. understanding and again i'm not an expert like, myself tobacco <laughs> is like a protection plant from what i understand yeah so, so tobacco is for yeah people you can diet tobacco and that's a, a master plan and it's hugely protective it's it's used in all of the um um north it's in all of the americas tobacco is an important part of their healing um, kind of cosmology um and certainly in the shipibo system that's the case um and so at a certain point in the dieting process you can have uh essentially like music coming into your Head, which will be then you can then kind of like translate into a song and give words to and through that song you, you basically can transmit the energy of that plant that you've been dieting to get that song into another person's uh, field uh in an ayahuasca ceremony and so basically the the, the shibibo maestros that we work with at the temple and any kind of shibibo, to, to be a shibibo maestro you have to have quite a few of these diets under your belt and have an array of plants which basically become like your allies and then you will sing ikaros depending on which plan is needed for the particular work that you're doing um at that moment um and so that's that's how their healing system works and, and when you say like have a plant as an ally, it's like they're like it's like their spirit personified. You can dialogue with like in your mind or on some level. Yeah, it's I know, and again, it's, it's we're, we're talking about that territory where it's like subjectively, but you know, basically that's it. Yeah, if people are obviously skeptical of that, I can appreciate that. Um, but for the for the purposes of just talking about what the experience is like and how it's reported to be, um, we're just talking subject direct terms like that um that yeah so you basically have a, a, a spiritual connection with the spirit of that plant and you can call on it as needed so you can have a dialogue with it but also very specifically it can essentially come near you in the way i've heard it described is it kind of nominates itself for this particular healing hmm. it kind of put its hand up and say i can help here so hmm. i don't you know exactly how that appears in the in the maestro's mind at that moment um but they will have an awareness that, that this is the plant that wants to come through and then they will sing a nicaro to express that and that is what channels the, the energy into the, per, the field of the person they're working with 
Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so going back pretty, to pretty profound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so we could go into the background deeper, deeper. But I want to go back to the, yeah, the original story a, on it's a, it's the a real kind of to to yeah. to, to like uh, bridge the territory between a skeptical Western framework of the world and this kind of mystical cosmological framework. It's it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think it's all fascinating. But back to the arcanas that we were the on. Arcanas, right? Yeah, to try the title yeah. back to that. Uh, so the arcanas then. So let's imagine someone's been through a series of ceremonies of, of, of say, you know, six or seven ceremonies or something. Then on the seventh ceremony, the maestro will sing them an arcana, which is like to seal all the work that they've done through singing the ikaros to them in the previous ceremonies and give them a kind of protective. Uh, a protective ally of sorts, I guess. And so I, again, was taught the thing that you were asking me about, this cloak coming over you, was, that was my uh, personal vision of one of them that I saw. It was like this really, really beautiful uh, golden cloak, uh, which kind of looked like a cross between a lion's mane and a um, chain mail kind of fitted suit kind of thing being laid over my body but it was just the, the color of the whole thing was this really vibrant alive gold color it was literally the most beautiful thing i've ever seen to be honest it was amazing um and so depending on the state that you're in because obviously when people drink ayahuasca they may or may not enter a visionary state and the that the intensity of that state can fluctuate but if you're in it far enough and the visions are strong enough then you can literally see these things so um so the other, does that answer enough of that part? Because yeah. you know, this is like, <laughs> you know, we're talking about quite amazing things in it quite quickly. Um, but uh, basically, it's the the idea that we were talking about is that these things can be seen by other people who have sufficient capacity to access certain visionary states. Um, so, so, so someone like you or I can only see it maybe when we're under the influence of a plant, but uh, a maestro of some sort would be able to see that all the time. Kind of like a yogi saying he can see people's auras. Is that the idea? Yeah, I don't know how much. I think most of the time people are, if we're talking about the maestros, they can generally see those things more strongly when they're working, when they're drinking ayahuasca themselves, um, which is that's why they drink ayahuasca. Part of it is to be able to access that state and then, you know, work with the healing energy from that state um in terms of visionary states like you say yogi people can have it yeah you can enter them i think they're just a part of the range of potential of human consciousness you know it's kind of multi-dimensional yeah certainly uh, i've entered those states not with um ayahuasca very temporarily through things like meditation and things like that um and i think different people have, will have elements of those in different forms. Um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't even want to try and give a definitive answer on it. I think there's a lot that's possible that we just don't know about that people subjectively experience for themselves and <laughs> in many different ways. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so let's go back to like more of maybe the grounded stuff for a bit. Uh, okay. <laughs> I did. I did have a note to, to ask you I, on a conversation we had with some friends. Uh, you mentioned like you have like a yang 
a young approach to mindfulness. Okay. Yeah. And I'm very curious about that because uh, meditation, I've gone and I have a strange relationship with meditation. I did it growing up, but then I don't really like doing it. Um, and I would rather do something. But so I was really interested in like your, I guess, like, yeah, proactive. I would say, yeah, I, 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 I mean, the, the, the comment about Yang is like, I think that's an element of the way I, uh, and that's an element that I learned actually from working with ayahuasca and meditating during ayahuasca ceremonies. So the context of it was that typically speaking, people present meditation in what I would consider a very yin way and that, you know, you kind of like gently looking at different sen sensations or different emotions or different thoughts or you're breathing and, and really not doing anything too forceful while that's going on. Um, however, what I noticed during a particular ceremony, uh, not so long ago, actually, which has really affected my conceptualization of meditation and certainly for the purposes of working with mindfulness and meditation during ayahuasca work was that if I, um, again, this is a kind of like a live teaching that happened during a ceremony, so I can't remember exactly how it came to me but what i noticed was that much like in 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 karate if you kind of like oh, you at, at certain moments you actually tense your body rather than being relaxed um you know um there's a place where that has a, a function in in the um in in the kind of visionary state that i was experiencing in the ceremony the purpose of me kind of going like was more like with my actual consciousness and by tightening it and squeezing it in a really firm way, which is a kind of like yang thing. Like I was like concentrating really intensely and kind of going, here I am kind of thing. And it's very difficult to, ex to express. So I hope this is, I'm articulating this clearly. Um, that shook off a whole bunch of debris off my kind of mental psychic space, if you like, and then allowed me to see very clearly something that was trying to connect with me and communicate with me. Um, so I know you said we're going to go back to the grounded terrain, but um, <laughs> we're back in, gotcha. in, in, in that. In that of, um, uh, do you know the book? Uh, actually, I have it right here. What's the title? Um, Adventures Beyond the Body with William Bowman on uh, astral projection. Oh, yeah. I have... Uh, not sure I've read that book, but I've done read some of William Buhlman's work and I actually was combining kind of like OBE work with during a tobacco dieta. We were talking about huh. tobacco. It's amazing. So yeah, I know William Buhlman. Cool, I love it. Because cool. right, so I've had very brief experiences with astral projection. I'm, I'm still skeptical, even though I've had a couple of experiences. Most of my experiences have been with like accidental sleep paralysis and I feel like I'm out of my body. But he has a whole idea, like when you, if you leave your body, assuming it's possible, you just like, like yell or decide, like, I'm going to be clear now. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to have clarity and like all the mental fuzz supposedly goes away. And that's I was like, oh, that's kind of the, it's, it's very yang. It's very opposite of what people think, like relaxing, letting your thoughts. I think it's the same thing, actually. Mm -hmm. I, hearing it from you now, I remember reading the same instructions mm -hmm. in his book. And actually, I'm pretty sure that's the same thing. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Because yeah. actually, I remember a couple of years ago, I was going through like, I was just like in a weird funk, like my body was feeling strange. It was very tired. It was very tight. Uh, I was like kind of like having depressed thoughts uh, constantly. And I was trying to be the way I learned to like relax mainly from like very yin teachers. It's just 
let it be, take a bath, get a massage, like whatever. <laughs> but it just, it's, I felt like I was going into a spiral. Maybe that's just not my, you know, that's not my constitution to do that. And at some point I was just like, like body, like unfuck yourself, like stop, like stop uh-huh. being a little bitch. Like that's just how I talk. I don't know. And then I was like, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop being like an airy fairy mess and just go on with my life. And that yeah, has an effect, than, right? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I think that's the same thing. I, I really do. I was, I, a metaphor came to mind actually when I was anticipating you asking me about this, because obviously I knew the topic we weren't going to talk about mm-hmm. and the word gang was in it. It's like, um, imagine if you're peeling an orange, mm-hmm. it's like, you kind of got to like poke your fingers around between the peel and the, you know, the actual orange flesh. Yeah. And you got to actually push a little bit firmly, but you got to find that sweet spot between pushing firm enough that it's actually peeling skin off and hmm. pushing gentle enough that you're not like ripping the actual flesh of the the um, thing. I mean, this is kind of like another element because sometimes you just need to be really firm, but there's also a place where you can use that kind of more controlled, focused meditation to actually push into something that's going on in your psyche. Hmm. So I guess that's maybe a bit more of a midpoint between the yin and the yang, but and then like we're just you know discussing the importance of having more than just that open softness towards everything. Yeah, what's making me think of now this may be a, like a strange tangent, but because uh, it's not like you're just using brute force against your mind or brute force. Like there's like a sensitivity of like where to push. Like and I remember in the book infinite jest uh there's like a chapter about marlon brando and how everyone thinks if marlon brando the actor he was like this brutish like masculine like kind of violent character um but the 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 story was about how uh he was so precise even when he threw a woman around like he was so he had so much attention on her center of gravity or if like he smashed a chair he was so like like he had so much attention on how this chair was smashing so he's a ton of force but there's like so much mindfulness in his brutishness. And that's what made him so attractive when he was like being a Stanley Kowalski caveman type character. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it's like sort of mastery of that, that kind of energy of of mastery of that kind of force. I guess that's what a lot of martial artists are aiming for. Yeah. And there's ways. So yeah. And I think there's some, some, correlation between that and the and the psychic domain as well for sure like um you can kind of that's what that that i think is the element that working with ayahuasca really brings to life Hmm. um i I hadn't experienced it in quite the same way working with kind of you know what you might call sober sitting meditation or anything like that Hmm. Uh, but with ayahuasca there's definitely this place where it's sort of you know you're kind of like folding into layers of things and you kind of like can poke through them and you can feel through them and you can track the sensation and certain times certain amount of force is needed sometimes you've got to step back and really let go other times you've actually got to push into it more firmly it's really interesting Hmm. and uh this may be like a dumb question but is there any way to other than experience like learning when is the time to push and when's the time to lay back i think it's just trial and error and intuition Hmm. you know like it's um um my i think overall the whole path is very forgiving you can afford to make mistakes and you're mm-hmm. going to like because you know why well, if we, we're not born knowing this stuff that's for sure and we're not brought up being taught to even think about it uh, that it's even relevant to anything yeah. um but my experience is that you know i'll give you an example of when it went wrong and when it went right was that 
Um, so when it went wrong, it was like, basically, again, I'm now veering into very odd territory, but I was kind of through intuition, partly twisted upside down on my head, uh, like seeing this little thing hovering right beside my ear. And it felt like if I tuned into it exactly the right way, through my concentration, somehow it would start doing something and working with me in a certain way. Uh-huh. It, was, you know, it, was, it was an extremely odd and um, experience, but that's, that's the best kind of way I can conceptualize it in a reasonably simple way. Um, and then I saw something run at my face in my, in my visions. And when I saw that, the, I was distracted by that and somehow instinctively kind of like told it to go away kind of thing before I even had a chance to think about my reaction. Cause obviously I was in a completely altered state at the time. And so, but at the same time through my reaction to it, I lost concentration over here and somehow my assertiveness over there meant I lost that space. So it was gone basically. It's like I, I, I broke the spell of, and the, of being tuned into that particular space mm. inside my inner visions. And so I guess you could say that was like a, a learning experience that, okay, there's some more skill that I need to develop in that particular domain. I mean, it's very esoteric, so I don't even know if I'll ever get another chance to be in yeah. that domain. Um, but by comparison on other occasions, you know, when it's gone right, for example, it's like just tracking a particular feeling of nausea through my body. And historically, I, I purge a lot when I'm working with ayahuasca. And on this particular occasion, I, I had the, the clarity and the focus to be able to say, okay, I'm actually going to hold on to this. I'm not going to give into the sensation. I'm actually going to like hold that nausea and I'm going to go deeper into it. Hmm. And what this led to was like, basically it's kind of like, you know, those doors where it's like this kind of classic sort of sci-fi security doors where something twists and then something else twists and then a whole kind of cascading opening lock unfolds. It was a bit like that by holding it and by kind of like working with the sensation of it, it was almost like I unlocked this whole deeper chunk of stuff. And then that kind of just like opened out into a huge, huge thing, which then came out of me in one massive purge, which was, you know, a, a really, really big healing for me. Like the amount of relief I felt after that, the amount of energy I felt I'd released through that was just profound. Like I obviously felt like I'd done the right thing, basically, by by squeezing it and by working with that sensation slightly in a slightly forceful, controlling way. You know, again, but it's not very forceful. It's just slightly. It's like getting that sweet spot. Hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you this in the beginning. Uh, what does healing mean to you? Okay. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> uh, so in the broadest sense, it's like in, we're talking about there's a sort of natural optimal functioning of things and it's anything that helps something that's in a less than optimal state return towards the more optimal state. So, you know, if you've got an infection, then anything that uh, like the healing is when the, the the infection is cleared. Yeah. Um, and so if we're talking more in a psychological domain, again, it, this is a, an assumption of sorts, but I don't think it's a, 
unique one that our optimal state of functioning is to feel relatively clear-headed to feel relatively happy to feel relatively calm um to feel relatively connected to feel balanced mm -hmm. um to feel good about being alive um to feel a sense of knowing what our life is about and what our you know or even if we don't have a specific like kind of like idea of that just at least a, a confidence about our you know being alive in that sense yeah. um and and i think that that is instinctively we are instinctively aware of whether or not we have that mm. um again there's a lot of complexities to it because you know we can have certain expectations about life which might not be realistic but <laughs> that's a different you know it's it's hard to know exactly how to uh, resolve that complexity but anyway in that sense i just mean anything that helps you return towards feeling better psychologically by those kind of standards. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I ask yeah. because I feel like I, I meet a lot of people, you probably meet a lot of people too, who are like endless, like on endless healing journeys. Like they, they never yeah. end. It's just like, it's just like this and then this, they have some other pain. And that's why I think I, I've become a little resistant to the word healing of just like, sure. oh, you, you could heal forever. I mean, it's more interesting to me to like just create new things, but that's not to say that we don't have wounds that we picked up in childhood or perhaps pre-birth, if you believe in that, uh, that could be I, made optimal. I, I hear that. I've had the same thoughts myself at times, and certainly it's a interesting kind of concept to consider, really. It's uh, especially like working in healing type seen and working as a psychotherapist where I'm constantly surrounded by it obviously there's a logical point where I can say what the heck is the point of all this where does it end and certainly I think that question has been implicitly stated to me if not explicitly by people including you know family members and things just not meaning to be mean or anything but just who are less interested in it than I am just asking the obvious question because where does it what's the point of it where does it all end um and I think really it's, I think that's where balance comes in. I think to be honest, I think I do believe that healing can go on for a very, very long time and that we, you know, certainly the glimpses that I've had of what's possible make me realize how much further I could go than I have, even though I've been at it for a really long time. I'm not saying I'm like super advanced or anything like that. Just, tracking my own experience is what I mean. Um, that I know I've come a really long way <laughs> from where I started. And I also know that I have an extremely long way to go. And that in practical terms, that's a lifetime's worth of work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's kind of good that, I mean, because if you, if you were completely healed or you had nothing left to do today, then you yeah. would do, right? Like it gives you a nattered arc to have gone a long way so to speak yeah and i think it's a i think the 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 solution is balance it's like you, you don't sort of well anyone can choose whatever they want to do i'm not here to tell them what they should or shouldn't do at that level but one solution is balance to make sure you're also <laughs> your healing is in context with having a normal life whatever normal means to you or let's forget normal yeah, enjoyable enjoyable life. yeah having an enjoyable yeah. life exactly having a fulfilling life and, and you know doing all the things you want to be doing without waiting for 
circumstance so to be perfect or your healing to be complete um you know awesome cool um i was gonna ask you about beginners tips but i almost feel like they could probably people can just look at your website to learn about like beginners stuff or contact you uh if they're i I haven't actually written too much stuff about um mindfulness specifically on there i i can do that i'll follow up with a blog (laughs) (laughs) well you got got some material yeah I mean, there's loads and loads of stuff out there. Um, and yeah, that's a part of the reason why I haven't written anything. Gotcha. Well, is there anything you would say from your perspective on someone who either is looking to heal with plant medicine or, or incorporate that, or even, even just like take on like a, a new take on mindfulness? Is there anything you would suggest to the, to the listeners to try? Well, There's so many, so many things people can try. <laughs> it's just, it's such an open, I mean, it's, I keep coming across new things that I've never heard of before and going, oh, wow, that's amazing. Um, so basically, I would say if people want to learn mindfulness, I would recommend it. If people want to, uh, and there's plenty of um, good places for that. I know the Vispassana organization uh, that offers retreats around the world. Um, that's a great place to access it as countless other ways. Uh, if people want to consider the more, you know, like Yang stuff, I don't specifically know, um, but um, because I had not really been formally taught that, it was just something that kind of came to me. And mm-hmm. then, as you've described through like William Buhlman's um, work, clearly I'm not the only person who's ever come across it. So there's probably people out there who, Mm-hmm. This is a normal, normal part of their system. I just don't know about it. Yeah. Uh, so I can't give any specific references for that. Um, I mean, as you know, we are going to be, I am going to be running a workshop at the temple in, right. in, the, in the Temple of the Way of Light in Peru, which will include this uh, kind of material in uh, late end of September, early October. Um, cool. That's one option. Find out more about that. So basically, it's going to be announced fairly soon. Um, if people want to uh, look at the Temple's website, where all the workshops, including that one, are announced, um, it is uh, templeofthewayoflight.org. Um, and that's a, a workshop in Peru. Oh, you got it up there. Great. Um, and if people want to have a look at my website, um, that's uh, seanchitty.com. And if I will also announce it there, so if people want to sign up for the, you know, like subscribe to the blog page, for example, then that's a place where I will definitely be announcing it. Um, you yeah. know, and that'll awesome. be the date for it. It's going to be this 30, it hasn't been announced yet, but it's going to be the 30th of September until the 12th of October. And that'll be in, yeah. in, in Peru, near Iquitos. So- an awesome immersion with plant medicine and as you've heard uh, if you're listening uh this is probably like a very safe place for a westerner to first immerse i think we we are right up there amongst you know one of the safest if not the safest and best contained ayahuasca centers in the world i mean i'm obviously biased because i work there but there's a reason why i work there it's amazing and certainly being in a really safe held space like that 
allows you know you you know about this that with a really well held safe container it allows you to go deeper basically mm -hmm. uh, the kind of work we've done together previously you know that and that's certainly true there awesome all right well thanks so much sean uh this has been real fun yeah thanks everyone it's been great to talk to you bye mate Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to be a part of the virtual audience for future episodes, make sure to follow me at crowdcast.io slash Rwando. See you next time.